This episode is brought to you by ShippingEasy.com. They're an online shipping software that saves you money through discounted shipping rates, makes it easy to print labels, process order, and automate your customer tracking. And this is a company that Travis uses to ship his orders from BDanceWare.com, and they're giving us a 90-day free trial for Build My Online Store listeners if you go to ShippingEasy.com slash build. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we're back in the show. Terry Lynn here, Travis Marazziani, my co-host. We both were just at two conferences so today we're going to do a roundup episode, uh, but first, uh, what's going on, man? We haven't talked in like two or three weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's the same things pretty much, just been working hard. This, uh, So it's October right now. Uh, as of recording this, it's about two-thirds of the way through October, and we're already almost tied with our best month in history, and we got you know about nine days left to go. So that's pretty exciting, but even more important, this is geared as long as things continue the way they're going and no major expenses pop up. This should be the most profitable month. Uh, I'm going to knock on wood really quick, but most most profitable month that we've ever had. So that's an exciting update for me. Nice. You think you'll ride this wave till the end of December for the rest of the year since everything's um, picking through up? Through February, to be honest with you. I mean, I think when I look at my stats through my website, the listeners of the show probably know that I tend to work really hard in chunks. And every time after I've spent a few months you know, really working hard, and this time it's probably been like, almost six months a year of working really hard, um, it kind of carries over. So as soon as I stop and kind of go on vacation, which I'm planning on doing at least a little mini one pretty soon, it continues to increase up until like a month after I stop and then it kind of slows down. But in general, the the flow of my business is October, November, December, January, February, March are all pretty good. So it should continue yes, for a little while. There's like a momentum that kind of carries over. Yeah, when you're yeah, exactly. Gotcha, cool. Yeah, so for me, uh, just at DC Bangkok, uh, a lot more new people this year. This is my fourth one, so uh, interesting to see the demographics change. Uh, and I guess the biggest thing is that you see people start to mature in their businesses now, like Dan and Ian sold their business, so they talked about that. But there's other people you know, that are having big exits too, and kind of like kind of the whole community. We're like, you know, like 2009, it was like, oh, four-hour work week, but now it's like a lot more mature. People are building bigger teams and things like that too, so... Uh, really interesting things. And I also met a couple listeners. Give a shout out. Uh, Derek uh, over at Wave Tribe, uh, Kiri and Will, uh, kind of longtime listeners that I finally got to meet after, you know, probably like, you know, a year or two of emailing or Skyping with all of them. So nice to finally uh, meet you guys. So uh, let's just get into the takeaways first. Sounds good. All right. So number one, find your super offer and emotional pain points of a customer. So this talk uh, came from a services guy uh, named Jacob Pohl. He does dental marketing for local dentists in Washington and across the U.S. So a very niche kind of agency type of business. And the cool thing that I took away was that uh, he started taking a dentist friend out to coffee for four months. And he would just have random conversations with him over time about the practice, getting more marketing done. And he always thought that as an agency, you know, it was like, I want to bring you more traffic and sales or, you know, I want more patients. And he realized that after four months, Every time he brought up insurance, his dental client would get really pissed off. He'd get like really angry. His face would get worked up. And you realize that was the pain point for a lot of these guys, like how insurance companies either rip them off or a pain in the ass to deal with. And it actually wasn't like, I want more sales. Like, I hate insurance companies was a much stronger message. And so he changed all his website to kind of amplify that message in his content. And he was saying it was like kind of like putting gasoline on a fire when you find the right pain point. And so it made me think like, all right, so like, you know, as store owners or as, you know, when you saw Dan's clothing, like what's the pain point uh, to find too? And sometimes uh, it just takes a lot of conversation with your customers to figure this out. But once you figure it out, that's the kind of thing you got to hammer out on, 
over and over. Well, again. so wait a minute. So this guy actually sells marketing services, but he just has content around hating insurance companies, or does he sell insurance as well? No, no. So he sells marketing services like local SEO, AdWords content for dentists, right? So dentists want to like you know have a bigger practice, blah blah blah. But every time they brought up insurance, he would get really mad. Like as a dentist, to deal with insurance companies was something they hated, right? And so basically, he changed his marketing on his agency side to like, you know, how to like deal with insurance companies, blah, 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 so that whenever a dentist reads it, they get fired up. And then basically, he doubled his business this past year, kind of doing this strategy and kind of changing his offer up uh, a little bit too. Okay, so just to, I just want to make sure I fully understand, like people would come to the website um, and they'd read about, you know, like how bad insurance companies are, but what he's actually selling has nothing to do with that? Well, or? also like how to grow your dental practice, right? Like how to get repeat oh, patients, okay. things like that too. And another thing too I took away was that um, in his marketing spend, it started out as like 5% of his annual sales, right? And so he wanted to push it to 15% once he figured this out. But his business partner was like, hey man, we shouldn't just throw 10% of, you know, like a few hundred K into this. We should do it stair-step approach. So what he did was he started from like 5% and then every month he would increase it by 1% until it was 15 So instead of like a big jump, throwing like 10% the next month and, you know, seeing what works, he would do it slowly to test out what works before doubling down on it uh, some more, basically. And he did this with like apprenticeships too. So he hired like a marketing intern. Um, so instead of like, you know, paying 1500 bucks a month right off the bat, he started with like 500 the first month, 1000 the second month, and then 1500 the third month. And then that was like the salary going forward too. Instead of doing like 1500 off the first, second, and third month, he kind of saved like, you know, 1500 2000 here or there too. And it gives the chance for the apprentice to be like, hey, you know, if you want to keep going down this, there's more reward for you to make it through probation and all that stuff. Alrighty, uh, so second, uh, I guess that's kind of a first one. Uh, kind of I did one and two at the same time. So next one for you, Facebook ads. What's the deal with this one? Facebook ads. So uh, first I want to give a shout out to Andrew Udarian over at e-commerce fuel because he did a great job um, with the conference. Like it was extremely well planned out. I will be honest. I think w like anything when you go into an event and you have extremely high expectations, it's it's hard to meet those. It was a great event and everyone there absolutely loved it, including myself. But I think I went into it with such high hopes that it was not even possible to meet them. That being said, the, the three points I'm going to talk about here were three of my uh, biggest highlights. And this first one, pretty much everybody said uh, was their biggest highlight from it. And Miracle, I think Wazoo, Wanzu from hipundies.com, I believe, did a talk about Facebook ads. And it was the most action-packed talk there, hands down, in my opinion. So there's a lot on this topic on Facebook ads. The first thing is you should probably be doing Facebook ads. Funny enough, I'm probably going to wait on doing Facebook ads and I'll get into that in my next bullet point. But here's some tips on if you are doing Facebook ads, how to actually do them. And I do want to do these soon. So anyways, the first thing is don't think about the Facebook ads as an ad. Think about it as like a conversation or engagement. So when people are going through their feed, it's kind of like the jab, 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 right hook. You want your ad to be a jab in the sense of you want it to look natural. So, I mean, still, it's going to be a little bit of a right hook, but it, for instance, it could be content. So I might do a Facebook post on, with a video of seven ways to DIY your dance costume or um, do a, a sponsored post on DIYing dance costumes and, and like have people so have it something that people want to share and they want to like where currently what I've been doing is just putting like basically a banner ad saying beatanswer.com buy from me buy from me 
and that's not the best way to use ads. So the, the next thing is uh, power editor. And stop me at any point, Terry, if there's like a, a question you have for me. Well, before we get uh, into that, well, yeah. like Facebook is a very top of funnel thing, right? Like no one's on Facebook really shopping, right? They're like, oh, what's this? I'll click this if it's interesting. And that's what you kind of go for. And then... Yes and no. I think it depends on what your product is. Um, for the most part, I do think you're right. For my kind of a product, you're 100% right. I know a girl that sells protein pancakes and she kicks ass on Facebook and I think the reason is if you're on Facebook and you're looking at how awesome all your friends are and all these like in shape people and you see an ad for protein pancakes, one, it's a novelty item. And then two, it, you know, it makes you feel bad about yourself not to buy it. So Yeah. And I it, guess you're kind of seeing, you're used to seeing food on Facebook, right? Like when someone's at a restaurant, they're like, oh, I had this awesome steak. Like check out this picture. Whereas like a pancake kind of goes along with that. Whereas it's like a, like a dance booty shirt, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the power editor. Yeah, the power editor is. You definitely should be using it if you're using Facebook ads. It's more powerful. Uh, the other, I forget the name of the other thing. I don't remember if you know it. I think it's just Ads Manager, and Ads Manager is a little bit more like novice level. Um, the power editor allows you to do all kinds of crazy things. So try to do that. But the next thing is, no matter what, install the Facebook Pixel to your website today. It takes very little time. And it'll help you start getting an audience. And then with that, you can retarget your audience on Facebook, which is extremely powerful. That's the only type of Facebook ads marketing I've ran consistently for the last year is retargeting. And it works. You know, it works very well. So are you retargeting content or retargeting product ads, basically? Uh, it's, it's basically just like a banner ad. I, I mean, I, my opinion with the retargeting is maybe you can be a little bit more direct and in their face. I'm sure different people have different opinions on this. But for me, it's like, hey, do you remember, don't forget us. Make sure you come back and buy. And um, I also use it to get likes to the B-Dance or page because people that have been to my website, I want them to like the website as well because there is some psychology behind like, you know, remembering that and then they'll potentially see my posts organically. So that's how I use it. Yeah, well, there's different touch points too now. You got to hit people with and all that stuff too. So do they talk about um, targeting too uh, in this? Or are we getting to that later? Uh, we'll get into that in okay. just a second. Right. Are you talking about targeting? I mean, so actually, I'll throw that in right now. Um, well, there's custom audiences, which are great and then lookalike audiences. So custom audiences would be you know, from your remarketing campaigns and then you create lookalike audiences. And I, I think a lot of this is already pretty common knowledge. But um, the other thing with interest targeting, there's a ton of stuff you can do. I mean, one of the things she talked about, one of my big takeaways from the speech was flex targeting. And flex targeting allows you to say, I want people that like, let's say, uh, with the protein pancakes example, people that like fitness and nutrition. They have interest in both these. As opposed to in the past, it would do fitness or nutrition, giving you a very wide range of people. So you might get someone that really likes nutrition but give a shit about fitness and vice versa. So the flex targeting allows you to be way more narrow. Um, there's a couple different types of ads she talked about as well. Carousel ads, which are like multi-image multi that people can kind of scroll, scroll through. They're great for products. And then there's also these things called lead ads, which I want to learn more about. And I guess the way that it works is people can fill out their information, their email address right from Facebook. So maybe I could run something that's like, do you want to have a DIY guide for dance costumes? What's your email address? That way they don't have to go. Yeah, I don't know a lot about this, but she was talking about it. And I'm going to definitely research that one because 
I don't want people to have to go to a page and then put in their email. Why not just do it directly from Facebook? And she made it sound like if it's not already a feature in the future, they could potentially do something where it's just like, yes, give them my email as opposed to having to type it in because Facebook obviously knows your email already. So that was, yeah, so that was most of the things. I mean, the big thing she talked about as well was that Facebook ads are still not very well utilized. They're better than they were a few years ago, sure, but it's still, I mean, there's not nearly as many courses, for instance, on Facebook ads as there are on PPC AdWords type stuff. And I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. And I really want to crack this nut, but I'll talk about in my next bullet point later in the show why I'm going to wait on cracking this nut. Yeah, so one thing you also have in your notes here is interest targeting, right? So like, Lowercase versus uppercase, what's the deal with this? Yeah, she was saying this, and this is another one of those things that I have not looked through enough on my own, but basically, I guess, if you lowercase type something like nutrition, it's kind of, it's very tightly defined uh, in the sense that you might only get, let's say, 500,000 people. But if you do uppercase nutrition, um, it's more loosely defined, and you might get 5 million people. And you'll see this sometimes when you're doing Facebook interest targeting, that the same word appears twice. Once it's uppercase and once it's lowercase. So now you know the reason why that's oh, the case. I was always like, do I choose both or do I just choose one? So this is, okay. So lowercase is tighter, uppercase is more loose. And basically you yeah. should go lowercase if you really know I, what you're targeting, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's a little bit of different uh, opinions on how wide your demographic should be. To me, target as tight as possible. Some people were saying, go bigger, let the algorithm of Facebook um, pick for you who's going to be the most engaged. I say, screw that. I want to have control. Yeah, gotcha. All right, cool. So I guess, uh, any, anything else with Facebook ads before we move on? I think that's uh, most of it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess number four for me, uh, Rockstar VAs are getting paid more. This is kind of interesting one that I noticed. So I was talking to a couple of guys that have, you know, pretty big teams, like either like five to like 35 VAs and they're saying, you know, the ones that are rock stars that are managing other VAs, you know, running their entire Amazon accounts, doing like, you know, refunds, customer support, like they're paying them 1500 a month, if not at least a thousand for starting out ones. And because they're doing this because A, uh, it keeps them from looking for other jobs and also B, um, you know, they already were pretty good. So some of them hired people through LinkedIn. So if you're looking for like a project manager, uh, a lot of these agencies in the U.S., like in New York, they actually use outsourced project managers, either in the Vietnam or the Philippines. And these are not like, your, you know, you're kind of your robot VAs that do this and that. They're kind of more uh, advanced, you know, kind of team leaders that can do this. And basically, you can just go on LinkedIn, search Manila, and then type the agency name, project manager, and then you'll have a list of like, you know, the people that have it on the title. And then you can be like, hey, do you want to work from home and make the same amount of money, blah, 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 right? So basically, um, you know, Kind of an interesting trend on how kind of the outsourced staff is getting more expensive now. And it depends on kind of what you're looking for. If you're looking for someone to just do like repetitive stuff, like, you know, scraping emails, obviously you don't need to pay this much. But if you're looking for someone that can, you know, do the emails, you know, do the outreach for you, and also kind of do some customer support stuff on a, you know, intelligent level, uh, probably like, you know, 400 bucks a month is going to get you what you need. It's interesting because my VA, um, I have mixed feelings. Like sometimes she works really hard and she does, she's extremely smart, but I feel like she's been lazy recently. I actually finally installed a thing where she has to clock in and clock out and it takes the screenshots. And I'm glad I did because the first few weeks she was only working like three hours a day or something extremely low. And 
I know that that's what she's been doing for the last few months. Part of me wants to give her a raise because she is so good and so crucial to the business. But then the other part of me is kind of like, you're not working hard enough. And uh, so it's been funny, like hearing your story and other people talking about how much they pay their VAs because I'm conflicted, you know. Yeah, I don't well, want to give there, her... There's a chicken and anything where like, if you pay her more, is she going to do the same amount of work or is she actually going to work harder? Like, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know either. So, I don't know. Now, maybe you could do like a stair step thing too. Try that. Yeah, I mean, recently she asked about like a raise and part of me was like, F you, you've been slacking on me for the last three months and I've been overpaying you. But then the other part of me scared a little bit because I don't want her, I don't want her leaving. She is good. I've trained her. Like I'm at the point now where I can say, hey, I need you to uh, do a DIY Pinterest pin for this. And she just knows what to do. I I can say, do a blog post for this. Make this person dancer of the month. Where in the past I had to be like, all right, let me show you how to do everything from scratch and like I'd kind of have to, you know, type it out. Now she knows. So it's like I don't want to lose her and I don't want to have to retrain someone. But at the same time, I don't want to reward her for poor performance. Yeah, well, then you have to figure out, well, what's your cost to replace her? Like the detrimental yeah. thing. Well, I, if, I if she does leave, how much does that cost you? And is that cheaper than paying her more or which one is the easier? One? I, I'm guessing it's probably paying her more. But how to how to map it with better performance is probably what... That's, um, I think the tracking software is going to be a lot better. I still have caught her doing some stuff that I think it's also hard because in that I can't always tell if she's actually being productive or if she's just screwing around. Cause, uh, yeah. Well, I guess like does she need to work eight hours a day or does she just need to get certain stuff done? She just gets certain – like if she gets it done before, you know, well, so there's this she needs w- to. Well, but there's – so and that's a, a funny issue because I always felt the same way of like, oh, if I get all my stuff done, the, the problem is – it's always changing what she needs to get done. So I'm like, this shouldn't take so long. And when it doesn't take so long, it could be because it actually is harder than I think or it could be because she's not working enough hours. And it seems like um, it's because she's not working enough hours. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you're not getting, she hasn't been, basically, she hasn't been, if she was getting enough done to convince me that she was working enough hours, I never would have got the, the tracking software. So that's, why I gave her trust for so long was for a while she was getting enough done. But then I think she started to get a little greedy, to be honest, and was kind of like, I'm only going to work two hours. And I'm like, well, you can't get eight hours worth of work done in two hours. Yeah, no, I don't know the situation, so I can't comment on that. So you'll have to figure that out. But I guess uh, let's go to the next one, Uh, hunting whales. So what's the deal with this? So this was probably the most impactful uh, talk for me. And that's because I think it's the most crucial to my business and hunting whales. So just to give a little bit of perspective, whales are your number one customers. Those are the people that buy a thousand dollars worth of stuff when everyone else is just buying, you know, twenty dollars worth of stuff. And the talk he was talking about Bonobos, which is the jeans brand, um, and but they also sell other types of clothing. Clothing, and he said, you know, an average customer might spend a hundred dollars, but the whales would spend twenty six thousand dollars. And that was shocking to me. So they'd buy, you know, their entire wardrobe. And those were the comp- the people that he wanted to target. So he talked about a lot of different stuff. And um, one of the ones that was really interesting and kind of counterintuitive was on your homepage, a lot of people want to have their best-selling items or their highest converting items or stuff like that. He said, no, 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 no. You should put items on there that whales want. So for him at Bonobos, it was sports jackets. Chances are the... 
what he called the minnows. There was minnows, fish, and the whales. The minnows are like the the little people that just buy random stuff. They're probably buying the board shorts, and which is a best selling item. You know, a high or, or a high um, conversion rate on that. So the natural inclination would be to have the board shorts on there. But what he said is, wouldn't you rather get those really big people? And so why not put the sports jackets? Because the minnows, quote unquote, aren't buying sports jackets. The fish probably aren't buying sports jackets, but the whales definitely are. And uh, it's fun, funny, funny, someone brought up a similar article at DCB where they're talking about this VC. Uh, he wrote an article like five ways to build a hundred million dollar business. But his analogy was like you have elephants, deers, rabbits, mice, and flies. So whereas like someone like Taylor Swift who sells all these CDs and sings all these concerts, she's hunting flies. So she's going for the scale game. But for like a B2B software sales guy, where each contract is like, you know, 500K, you're hunting elephants. And it's kind of like the same way where it's like that 1,000 true fans curve where you just kind of want to be on the short side but on the high side too. So like one of the guys at DC Bangkok was like, yeah, you know, he runs like a marketing agency and he each client pays him like, you know, 2500 a month and he only has like 60 clients which is it's a good number but 60 isn't that big of a number when you compare it to like b2c stuff right and he and he's doing like 2 million a year right if you do the numbers you know 2.5 times 60 people a month it's like 100 you know 40k ish 50k ish and that's like you know 2 million and it's not not that bad right whereas like and, and i realized that too is like if, I, if my wallets are like 40 dollars each compared to like doing marketing services for the store it's like I need to sell like you know an extra, you know, sixty wallets per client for one person that I signed to do email marketing, or content marketing for it too. So, kind of a similar tangent, I guess. Yeah. So, going off that, one of the things he was talking about was finding what channels the whales come from. So maybe most your sales come from organic traffic, but most of the whales actually are coming from Facebook or you know CPC PLAs, whatever whatever it is, and. I a lot of the stuff I feel like when you hear people with a lot of experience talk about there's some good nuggets in there but at the same time it doesn't work as well as they think and the reason I say that is the statistical um the data isn't is strong if you're a newer company so for me it's not necessarily statistically significant maybe I have two whales that come from one channel and you know zero from another one but that's just happens to be because in Google Analytics, you can look at this up to 90 days, and 90 days isn't a lot of data for a smaller company like mine. For Bonobos, you know, that's tons of data. You know, it's multi millions of dollars in that time frame. So, that being said, I mean, I, I still think it can be very valuable and just look at how are they finding out about you. So, maybe it's more of a in person or calling them and asking like, hey, how did you find out about me? And I, that's something I've been trying to do with dance studios is like, how did you find out about me? And uh, it tends to be pretty much the same way everyone else finds out, finds out about me, which is Google. So I didn't get a ton out of that, but I, it was really exciting and the idea that you can go into analytics and segment out the whales. It's something I think everyone should at least try. Maybe you'll find something surprising. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you go to order, just give them a call like the quickest way, right? Just get to know them better too. And so yeah, ways. and so then the next thing was find out how long it takes between the first and the second purchase. And this isn't valid with all industries. I mean, you know, wallets probably, the first to second purchase is probably five years. But for, yeah, for me with dance clothing, whales probably purchase on a somewhat regular basis. It's probably every three months. I don't know for sure. And that's something I need to figure out. But the idea was if you know that 
after someone makes a $250 purchase, they're likely to have made another $250 purchase within three months. You know, after four or five months to send them a coupon and saying, hey, don't forget about us. Make sure and come back and buy um, another thing. So I like that. But even more importantly, what he's one of the my biggest takeaways from this talk, and I know I've said that a lot, but this was a really strong one, was that handwritten notes are amazing. So he told this story about the quote-unquote best salesman. This guy's in the Guinness Book World Records. He's the guy that would sell 250 cars at a dealership when the next highest person was selling 15 in a month. And what he said when interviewed um, what made him such a great salesman, he said that a month after everyone buys from me, I send them a handwritten note thanking them. And that really stuck with me because how often have you bought something online, Terry, and gotten a handwritten note? Probably never is my guess. Yeah. Nope, never. Uh, yeah. Probably and never. Yeah. I, I know I never have. I mean, I remember one time bodybuilding.com, I ordered something and they forgot to add it in there. And then so I, I told them, and they sent me a new replacement. You know, they, no questions asked. I could have been lying. I, I wasn't, but I could have been. And they sent me a handwritten note in the package that said, I'm sorry about that. You know, I, I hope you accept our, our gift. And I was like, that's awesome. And it wasn't even a thank you note. It was just like a, hey, sorry about that. It was very casual. It would have meant so much more if a month later they put it in the mail and said, you know, I want to thank you again for trusting us. I know that we messed up your last order, but we really... Uh, are here to serve you. I'd be like, what? Like this is, this is unreal. So my idea is that a month after anyone purchases, let's say $250 worth of stuff, I want to send them a handwritten note as personalized as possible. So maybe we say something like, you know, I hope you guys uh, did great at your competition or I know little Hillary is doing so great out on there. She's so beautiful. Thank you for the picture or whatever. As personalized as possible, um, I want to send that to them. Another thing you could potentially send is free items. If like we have someone that bought four thousand dollars worth of stuff from us, it might not be a bad idea for us to be like, "Hey, here's our new convertible bra. Uh, what do you think about it? You guys should buy it next year." <laughs> Basically. Yeah, there's there's a marketing guy I went to like his workshop. He was saying he does this with his like B two B clients. Obviously, the price was a little but he would, you know, once he finds out like a CEO really likes like golf, uh, after he signs with him for like six months or like Christmas, he'll mail him like a big Bertha golf club FedEx to his office. And the reason isn't that, you know, like the CEO likes it, but it's like when he gets it, he'll tell his friends, like, oh my God, I got this golf set today in my office. It was awesome. Everyone in the office saw it and he feels awesome when he opens this gift and awesome. And his friends are like, oh, who sent this to you? Oh, it's my marketing guy. By the way, call him here. And then like, it always pays off too. So like someone, you know, kind of in the marketing space, like in the agency space, you can just, hey, you know, if the client pays you, what, 2K a month, just buy him like an iPad for Christmas. Like that's awesome, right? And certainly... You can justify that too. I mean, certainly not everyone everyone might have the right customers with that, but like, you know, little things like that can always mean a lot. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, uh, number six. So this is uh, I went to a workshop by this guy Chris Winters, and he has like thirty five VA. So he talked about his systems of managing them. And one thing I found interesting was that uh, instead of storing all his SOPs in a Google Doc with a folder with like you know eighty files on how to do this, he actually has a WordPress forum on a subdomain and his website where like people can post the latest things, what they've learned, they can pin posts, they can delete posts, and it's a much more organic way to store things instead of just using like a Word document for all your SOPs essentially. Are you going to start using this then? I think so, yeah. So I think I'm going to start using this because the subdomain is free, right? And you just use BB Press or Vanilla. It's like a free WordPress forum. 
and you can just start documenting your stuff in there. And as soon as you get someone, you just add them as a user and be like, hey, read these threads. If you have any questions, post in there, I'll reply. And th that way, people who join later on can see it too. And it kind of becomes much more organic than like a little Word document that gets really messy with like 10 pages, 11 pages of screenshots, uh, all this stuff too. Yep. Alrighty, uh, so I guess number seven, product videos. Yeah, and really quickly, I forgot to mention in, in the last one. So the reason I've been talking about not wanting to focus on Facebook uh, was because my whales aren't really there. And so I think that it's important to realize that I didn't talk about is that you really just want to focus all your marketing efforts on the whales and kind of forget about the quote unquote minnows and the fish. And for me, I can do a little bit of Facebook marketing. I might be able to target some, you know, dance studio owners or people interested in related stuff. But at the end of the day, I'd rather spend a hundred percent of my time currently focusing on how to get those VIP customers more engaged and um, all that kind of stuff. But so yeah, product videos, that was the third big takeaway. And I tried to limit it to just three takeaways from this conference because otherwise, you know, I, I, there's a hundred notes that I wrote down on different things I could do. But these were the three that really hit me. The last one being product videos. And this is another one of those things that I know that I want to do going into it. I knew that I wanted to do this. So one of the things that I got out of this was you don't need to do product videos for all your products. Start off with just some of your best sellers. See if it works, for instance. I think it will for most people. Um, it, it connects you with the audience. It connects you with the, the f future purchaser. There's all kinds of different things about it. But basically, people tend not to read long paragraphs. But if they can watch a video, be entertained, and it makes you more human, they're more likely to want to purchase your product. So you can do it for products, categories, the About Us page, and the FAQ page. And the FAQ page is one of the things I didn't think about because how cool is that? I mean, how often do you see... Uh, FAQs that you're like, I'm not going to read this crap. But if it was a video, you might actually be willing to read it or watch it. Yes, because you're in, in a learning mode to get information, right? In a video, like a how-to video, be a good place to put that. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to buy. I mean, with a from a human than it is from some online site. Like, I would probably pay a few dollars extra to trust a company, know that like, all right, this company, oh, that that that's the owner. That guy seems pretty cool. I'm more likely to do that than. Um, Though, I mean, I guess it could work against you. I did recently watch a video from a website that I'm like, that guy seems like a dick. I wouldn't buy from this site purely because of that. So make sure that you put your best foot forward with that. Yeah, exactly. Did they talk about video production there while you were there? Because it does take some time to make all this stuff, right? Well, he just outsourced it. So what he did is like kind of found friends of friends. He recommended um, talking to college students and just getting them to do it. And he said he spent about $1,000 for all his products uh, category page videos and everything, but he showed his stats and it like doubled right after he, he put it up. And it was just, it, it, as far as he's concerned, it was purely because of the product videos. He didn't make any other changes to his website and sales doubled. And he had a, a number of calls that also confirmed that people were like, I love your videos. And you know, he'd ask like, well, why'd you buy from me? It was like, Oh, just because you had videos and the competitors don't. Yeah. You know? I guess college kids too. They always, you know, they're always good with technical stuff. You just buy them dinner or give them some free stuff and they're good to go, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the kids are in there going, uh, doing, learning this, video production stuff. And you tell them like, hey, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. It's like, yeah, sure. Like yeah. 20 bucks an hour. Alrighty, so I guess the last two points, uh, kind of two different topics. Number eight, hire slow, fire, fast. So this came from me 
from a good friend that I've known for like three, four years. And he got into the lead gen space, um, basically scraping emails for startups. So say you sell whatever software, he'll actually email on behalf of you to other people under your dedicated email account. And then he'll uh, schedule calls with you if you're gonna close it for them and basically just like lead gen stuff like this, right? So um, what he does was he started wasting a lot of time hiring different VAs for like simple tasks. And so he made a Google Doc of like an SOP on how to follow as like a training thing to get hired, right? So he started hiring 10 people at one time for like two hours each. And then basically they would be hired to follow this SOP for two hours and to kind of fill in everything in Google Sheets. And if you use Google Sheets or any Google Drive thing, you notice that, you know, whenever someone's logged in, you can see what they're doing. Like as Travis, I see you in the Google Doc now. You're like a pink color, you're, you know, your hyphen, it kind of flashes whatever you're typing and it shows, you know, who's doing what, right? So he would hire 10 people at a time. Usually two people don't show up right away. He instantly fires them. And then the three people in the next hour usually do something dumb. They don't follow the orders or they're like browsing Facebook. They're too slow and he fires them right away. And by the time, you know, the end of the day, there's like two or three people that are actually pretty decent candidates. And then from there, it quickly goes through these candidates to see who's actually suitable. So instead of like interviewing 10 people at once where they're saying, hey, you know, I can do this, I can do that. You actually just see what they do and how they actually perform uh, instead of wasting your own time on like different candidates. Do you tell them that they're competing or do you just kind of keep that hidden so they really show their cards kind of thing? No, he, he just keep, he doesn't tell them. He just tells them, hey, follow this. And then, you know, if they suck, he fires them right away. <laughs> so it's very, it's almost like elegant and ruthless when we're talking about this, but it's a really good way to like go through candidates, especially if you're just doing like really kind of like repetitive stuff. Whereas I think if you're looking for like a team manager, you probably can't do this. But if you're just looking for someone to like scrape emails or, you know, follow this thing over and over again, it's a pretty good way actually. I like that. I'm actually really excited for this next one. So I'm not going to ask too many questions, but the tax tricks and good bookkeeping uh, sparked my interest. So I'm going to let you jump into that. Yeah. So, so the last one, uh, Phil Hogden, I think he's a listener, but you've met him in LA. He's a DC member. Uh, he does like tax law, international tax law for expats slash US citizens. So a lot of like stuff with bookkeeping, accounting. So he did a workshop on kind of offshore uh, incorporation, right? but we're not going to get into that. The last part was really what mattered. He was saying, you know, you can do all these tax tricks to like, you know, incorporate offshore, move your business assets. But really what will save you more money is actually keeping your expenses and your bookkeeping uh, on the dot, right? Because there's a certain cost. So say you can save, you know, 20000 by incorporating somewhere. But how much will you be willing to pay for that savings, right? Like the setup fee for a corporation, for a lawyer, for annual audits, like say in Hong Kong. Like would you be willing to pay 10000 to save 20000 Like there's a kind of gray area there, right? Everyone's got to decide. And so he basically said, look... It all comes down to bookkeep, good bookkeeping versus tax tricks. So he had an example where you know, if you have a $100 meal expense that you miss because you're not keeping receipts and things like that, uh, A, your profit that you deduct from is $100 higher. And if you're self-employed, there's a 15.3% self-employment tax, right? And if that $100 you spent on the meal was a real business expense, it actually cost you $115 instead of just the $100 that it was because you're getting taxed additionally because your profit's higher too. So A, you lose deductions, uh, your income's higher, and you pay more tax. So, you know, you're working harder, but you're kind of losing more money on the side too. So he was saying, you know, uh, work, keep your data clean because if your data's sloppy, you end up paying more for fees for someone to clean it up and you work harder on your tax returns too. And it kind of snowballs uh, from just being undisciplined with keeping your receipts too. 
And he really amplified it where he was saying like, look, if you have poor documentation, it leads to you guessing, right? You guess, oh, maybe my expenses were actually this high. Maybe it was too low. Maybe it was too high. You don't know, right? Basically, this risk leads to getting audited. I mean, you're, maybe you won't get audited, but your risks are certainly higher if you're just guessing random numbers, right? Which leads to penalties, interest. And really, it's like a low ROI activity too if you're just kind of just dicking around like this. So he was saying, look, just get your stuff in order, you know, dedicated bank account, credit cards, PayPal business accounts, never run your personal stuff through business accounts, uh, get a bookkeeper ASAP and use a phone to track your expense or at least start taking pictures of all your receipts as like the bare minimum. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, keep in mind, um, I love Phil. He's a great guy. But anytime I hear a talk by, there was a talk, for instance, at the e-commerce fuel that was by a lawyer, like a trademark lawyer. And of course, he's like, you need to get everything trademarked. You need to trademark your website. You need to do this and this. And I'm like, well, you know, that's like asking a barber, should I get a haircut? It's like, uh, exactly. yeah. yeah, that's true. But I feel, <laughs> like, but I feel I, like the expenses stuff is a little... It cuts across the boundaries too. Though. Like everyone has to do taxes. Everyone has to keep track of everything. And yeah, but I mean, as far as hiring a bookkeeper, you know, ASAP type thing, I think it depends. I think that so. So the bookkeeping thing, he says, if you're doing like a million plus a year, you definitely should have one. Like if you don't. Oh, okay. Like yeah, if you, that's like totally if you don't have a bookkeeper and you're doing a million, you're doing like a really low ROI activity, where you're getting, you know, you're spending money on yourself to do something you're not even good at, essentially. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, this episode is brought to you by ShippingEasy.com, an online shipping software that saves you money through discounted shipping rates, makes it easy to print labels, process orders, and automate your tracking. And they're giving us a 90-day free trial for any plan just for Build My Online Store listeners. So go to ShippingEasy.com slash build, and we'll catch you guys in a few weeks.